a man who seemed to have everything he could ask for, and at no cost. A man who liked to gamble and raise the stakes to absurd levels, somehow hooking people in until they agreed to whatever he offered. Here he was, in a car with a man who had promised him a new life within hours of meeting him, but for a price. And Gareth had asked no questions of their destination, the fee required or any terms of their agreement for that matter. As if reading his mind, Ackerley spoke out of nothing, reciting what sounded like poetry or a verse of some kind as he stared out the window. There's a Spanish train that runs between Guadalquivir and Old Seville, and in the dead of night people hear she's running still. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Dead Men Talk. Here is the second official episode for series two. Um, I think summer well and truly uh, given away to autumn now by the looks of the uh, the sky outside today. Um, I think I, I clung on to summer as much as I could. So uh, thank you to Gillian Rose once again for being such an awesome guest uh, for a bonus episode which I released um, in between um, last week's official episode and this one um, for the final summer drop-in session it was great to 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 chat to her it was a great guest it was uh, all the all the guests on the summer drop-in sessions I know I said it last week but um, it was fantastic just to have people come on to chat about their work um, whether they've been involved in mine or not Ray Rumsey and, and I have, have crossed paths before. Um, Chuck Chapman was, um, I, I can't speak highly enough of his book, um, Family Man. Please do go out and, and check it out. He um, he was gracious enough to return the favour listening to the audiobook of A Necessary End. So that's how we got, um, got to know each other. But it, it's great how through each other's creativity, you can meet such other great minds out there who still manage to inspire yourself so um yeah thank you again to everyone who came on so here we are with the second episode of series two um where i delve a little deeper into the stories that are that make up a necessary end um like last week i'm sticking with chronological order really so today i get to talk about probably my favourite character that I've created um, in The Tricker Jack. Some of you may know him, many of you probably don't. Um, hopefully this will get you interested if you haven't read A Necessary End to grab a copy because the main thread that goes through the book is really to do with this character of The Tricker Jack. Um, and I did say last week I wasn't sure if I was going to do one episode to sum up his entire sort of story that runs through this book but I won't, I'm going to stick to what I, I set out to do, I'll take the first story which is just called Trick and Jack it first appeared in House of Courtney it was um, it was the second of the, the four sort of stories that made up House of Courtney that I wrote it came I think it was October 
yeah, it's probably coming up for for its anniversary really when I started writing it back in 2015, I believe it was that early. Because um, whereas I had just written, obviously I got Acolyte published, I had then gone on to write Omidia, and this was another what it was due to be just another standalone story. Little did I know how much this character would have an impact on me. Um, despite the fact that I was the one that created him and wrote about him, he uh, I, I felt a real affinity to this guy, and he became such a such a fun character to play with that I I ended up writing more, as you'll see through the course of this series. He's become probably one of the the characters that I I hope I will be remembered for, if anything, out of all my works, because he's the one I think with the most and um, fun most fun story to tell uh, but let's go right back to the beginning so I wrote this story really it was it was I think it was a purpose written story for a a blogger and I, I meant to look out the the blog that I wrote this for um, but the, the blogger in particular um, was putting together like a Halloween themed post um, obviously for Halloween that year I'm pretty sure it's 2015 so five years ago um, looking for authors to go on just to, 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 to contribute something I decided I was going to contribute a short story um, lo and behold this again a bit like a media wasn't very successful as a short story because as I started writing it I found I had too much story to really trim it down to what could be considered a short story. Um, but I, I wrote it. I went with it. I was, I was really happy. The the final, the finished product actually is pretty much what exists in the necessary end. I haven't changed it. I didn't alter it much for House of Courtney, and I'm fairly certain that I didn't actually do any alterations to it for a necessary end. So what you read in a necessary end when you get to Tricker Jack is actually how it was written right back at the beginning. Again, House of Courtney, I think I've said before, it's the most organic release um, that I've written to date, I think. Um, I just kind of pieced it together out of whatever was going around in my head. I didn't stop it. I didn't didn't put up any barriers. I, I didn't really trim it down at, at all. I, I let it exist as it came out to me. Um. So I, it was after a visit to, um, we've got a, a couple of, um, a couple of line, uh, railway lines down here, which are steam reserved for steam railway line, um, trips. And it was after a visit to one of them, it was either Buckfastly or could be Staverton, I can't remember which, but I, I was just taking some pictures of a steam train, um, or a train that was just in situ on the line um, while we were down there. I came home like I did. I was quite into at the time um, f putting filters on, playing around with filters and coming up with things that could constitute a book cover. You know, I, I thought if I could take a really cool picture, play around with it and make up my own covers, um, I have something visual to put out with, with my stories. So 
I came back and, and played around with, I made this, this picture of this train look really dark and sinister. And that sort of got my mind going about it linked in with and this is this is where the main inspiration for the story comes from not necessarily the character of the tricker jack but the actual story of the tricker jack is actually rooted very firmly in my love um, of a certain singer songwriter um, when I mention his name you will hopefully all know who he is um, this may come as a shock to a lot of people really that I, I've got such an, again, an affinity with this person but it's uh, Chris Burr. now those of you who probably only know him for one song which is Lady in Red um, firstly may think it odd that I could draw inspiration from uh, from him from any of his songs um, probably you, you may be surprised that it's a type of music that I actually really like I will say though, um, any and hopefully anyone, any fans of his who, who really do know his back catalogue will say Lady in Red is one of the poorest representations of his work. Um, it's my least favourite song. Um, I don't feel like it's got a hell of a lot of substance to it. I don't like the real ballady stuff that he does, but he has done so many songs back really in sort of the late 70s early 80s before he became mainstream in that sense he had a plethora of songs that were stories um they were pop they were rock as well you know quite a lot of them quite quite punchy uh rock riffs and melodies to them um and two of these songs in particular so so round about this time 2015 for whatever reason I rediscovered Christopher's music for myself. I think it's the beauty of things like Spotify because there were a lot of artists that I was brought up with. So my my um, appreciation for Christopher's music goes way back to when I was probably five, six, seven years old. Um, my dad um, influenced a lot of the music that I listened to back then because he is whatever he used to put on in the car and he had um what is still probably my favorite christopher album which is flying colors he used to play it over and over in the car and apparently there was one song on there in particular that i used to request and sing along to in the back of the car so it went way back to my childhood and i think when you've got the freedom when it streaming became more popular and you had things like spotify I was able to go back and revisit a lot of the artists that I used to listen to as a kid and and broaden my knowledge of their work. Uh, with Christopher, I knew three albums by that point as I was growing up. Um, Flying Colours, End of a Perfect Day, which was my first own cassette album that was bought for me for Christmas one year, and Into the Light, which um, preceded, which is the album that preceded Flying Colours, I believe. Um, I didn't really know any others and so I I just sort of ploughed in I started with the albums that I knew sort of you know rediscovered those for myself again but then I went back and decided to go right back to the beginning and there throughout listening to his back catalogue I, I got that appreciation for his songwriting he's one of my lyrical heroes you know in storytelling I think he, he's he's shaped 
even outside of this story of the Trucker Jack, he has influenced certain things that I've written about. Um, so anyway, back to the relevant part. The the two songs that really sprang out to me, um, one which is my absolute favourite song of his of all time, which is Spanish Train. Um, and the other one is Don't Pay the Ferryman. So I'll discuss Don't Pay the Ferryman in a bit more detail when we get to discussing that part of the book. But So this, this visit to this um, sort of steam railway station, this, this picture I'd taken of this train, got me thinking about Spanish Train. Anyone out there who doesn't know the, the song, um, just briefly, it is uh, he writes about a train um, obviously that, that travels a section of a line in Spain and apparently is uh, travels at night and is heard from a distance but it carries the souls of the dead um, and it's a great story that he then tells on top of that of the of of God and the devil um, playing game of poker to you know, sort of gambling with these souls you know who gets them you know who get who who gets to claim these souls and where you know where do they go heaven or hell and it's fantastic you know i, I can't i'm I can't really say too much about it. I don't think I can do the song justice by sort of describing it myself. But please go go and check it out. Spanish Train by Christopher. Um, he read he he sings it and reads it as if it's a story, as well, which which sort of adds to the creepiness of it at times as well. It's fantastic. So I took that idea. I thought there must be something I can do with that story, and you know, to turn that song into um, into a piece of fiction, into a, a, a short story. So I I built on the the notion or the idea of this train which um, carries the souls of the dead from the land of the living to the underworld. And again, this is where it kind of this became a mishmash of my influence from the song in particular, but also my love for you know folklore and biblical stories and references to things like the underworld so my image of the underworld um, of, of what you what you read of the image of the underworld in in the story of tricker jack is my image is what i've always imagined it to be um in particular um when you you get to the river um sticks where the, the you're apparently taken then through to the afterlife um, by a ferryman so this is where Don't Pay the Ferryman comes in so the story in that song is um, is a guy who is, is he's, he's at that point I guess where he, he's at the point of crossing over and it's his journey then into the underworld and the, the, the point of the song is telling him um, you know, don't pay the ferryman until you get to the other side. So until he safely gets you to the next stage of the afterlife, you know, don't, um, don't give him his toll, because there's no guarantee that you'll get to the other side. So I I factored that in as well. So I knew I wanted a story that incorporated um, the journey or the the importance of this ethereal train that takes souls from the land of the living to the underworld. 
and then once they're there is what happens to those souls um when they get to the key the harbour side i call it nether key so sort of you know the nether world um so yeah when they get to nether key what happens to them then my image really was of all these souls of the dead being like zombies um and they are just kind of shuffling down um without any awareness of, of obviously what's going on they just shuffle down to the harbour they wait for Charon who is the ferryman now he is actually a a, a proper folklore figure if you, you look him up again a lot of you may know the the tales of the, uh, the the legends the theories of Charon the ferryman um, the idea is is that he is the one that ferries people to the next stage to the afterlife um, and they carry a coin in their mouths or their hands. I went with the the idea of it being in their in their mouth, but what I added to it was something a little sort of to 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 keep up that kind of grisly side that I was aiming for for this book. Um, the the dead soul's toll is actually a coin which. The harbour master down in Nether Key pushes through their cheek. Actually, pushes it through the flesh of their cheek into their mouth, and that's where it's sealed. Um, and he's got to do that with each one. So I actually made a character of the harbour master um, as well. Yeah, just just sort of a, a small part of the story to just, um, to give that sort of realness to the the world I was creating. I suppose. It may not even serve you any good out there, but I will tell you what I know. Davor pulled the shack door closed as tightly as he could, after noticing that the crowd of impatient souls was growing around where Pablo stood. The boat must have been drawing near. Think of the world you know as one big board game. There are players sat around waiting for their opponent to make the next move. In this case, there is one player above and one below. Your world is set out between with millions of moving pieces. Any that are given life or are taken away are simply one of the player's moves. The souls sent down here are already dead. There is no nicer way to put it. They are sent here to be judged. Our job at the harbor is to help them move on to the next stage. They board the boat and are taken to the next place. I have never seen the next place, so I cannot tell you more. I was brought down here too early in my life, but the harbor master before me saved me from that boat, from simply being a lost soul. As I was not dead, you see, I did not arrive here with a coin. Therefore I was destined to wander the lonely shores of the banks here for a hundred years to pay my dues. The Habermaster took me in, told Karen that I could work for him, help him run the key. For the number of the souls coming off the train was increasing, the devil was winning more and more souls, too many for him to process on his own. Hundred and five thousand souls won on a simple poker hand once, another two hundred and fifty thousand on a game of chess. The game doesn't matter, the result? Always seems to be the same. That man taught me a lot. Taught me how to survive. His time was soon to come, though. 
He had served his hundred years and was ready to move on. He boarded the boat one day and I had to help him. He was the first soul I sent on the way. He was the first one whose cheek I had to force one of those blasted coins through. That moment has never left me. It has gotten easier over time, but only in the sense that I can now distance myself from those who pass through. But that man was like my father. He was also the one who first told me about the trickerjack. So that's where the premise came. That's it was those two stories. I thought they married together. Did those two songs, Spanish Train and um, Don't Pay the Ferryman, it could be linked together. You know, the the souls of the dead carried on this train, and the the ferryman at the other side, um, at the harbour down by, down on the river, ready to take them on. I I can't remember the early ideas for the story. Whether it was just going to be a simple sort of observational. Um, account of of what i think happened but along the way i thought there had to be a central character in this so in the song of spanish train the devil cheats to win a game of poker against god so i thought i i wanted to encompass that in a character i wanted someone who who whose job it was to gain these souls by being quite underhand and my imagination then took off and I thought this guy could be really quite a cool character because he's someone that you could probably despise or know that you should despise but he'll be very in himself in his appearance in his mannerisms be very very cool so he's one of those that he's 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 the, the villain that you you love to hate or you hate to love either way that you you want to, but you you love him as well as hate him um and that's where the character of the trick jack himself started to come through and it was a combination of other things at the time as well i think it must have been around the time that my wife and i went to the cinema to see crimson peak um we're big fans of guillermo del toro's films and when that one came out we knew we had to see it and Tom Hiddleston uh, has a character in that film sort of a pale faced very suave looking aristocrat um, he as soon as I saw that film I had the image then of the tricker jack in my head it was a guy who would be I've, I've since described him as a like a Dickensian gentleman in his appearance he wears a top hat he wears a black long coat he's got a cane someone that you can imagine lived in sort of victorian england um and his his demeanor is very calm sort of hypnotic at times where his pre just his mere presence has an effect on people you know it makes them stop it makes them take note he has some, some power over them just by being there um, and with that he is he's able to use this to his advantage by getting people to basically gamble with their souls he um, as it turns out he preys on people who are vulnerable people who have reached some point of desperation in their lives they need help um, in whatever way or they may have 
desires you know they're, they're desperate for certain things they're desperate for money or women or power whatever it is um and he uses his ability his his hold over people to to influence them to trick them in a sense to to gamble their souls against achieving whatever it is that they desire this this power this immortality maybe um and it's hinted in the story as well and further in some of the other stories that he himself had gone through such a a task before and um, which is how he gained his his sort of supernatural ability to to do what he does and he um he's a he works um as the story says he works for the devil he's like a free agent really for the devil he he's got a, an agreement with the devil that he can travel between the land of the living and the underworld and his job is to gain more souls from the living for the devil to take down into hell to you know to to go into his ranks for whatever you know he he to have more more numbers for him it's it's part of a just an ongoing game really like the song spanish train suggests it's it's all a game between god and the devil really as to who goes where um they're just playing these yeah like card games chess games whatever it's, it makes it seem so trivial um the idea is is that to someone to the tricker jack it is a game it's just another you know just just finding somebody else to play this game with um he does his bit all he's got to do is basically recruit them get them to to be willing to gamble um their soul if they lose their soul goes to hell um if they win they get these untold riches or power whatever it is that they desire and to a lot of people like gareth miles the um the protagonist in the story of the trick jack he has reached a point of desperation he's on the run um the reason becomes i actually expanded his backstory by writing another story for house of courtney after this one which i will come into in the next episode so i won't say too much here but he's reached a point where he he's on the run he flees england um he ends up boarding a ferry over to france and by whatever means he can he makes his way to spain by the point that he's in spain he gets um set upon by a group of kids um he really hits a, a real low point and this guy comes into his life just sort of helps disperse the group that are attacking him and offers him this kind of salvation and this this was this was the trick jack um so i i knew i had to make i i couldn't have this character just being this this supernatural this real sort of bona fide supernatural character i had to make him quite human so that's why i i depicted him as this this gentleman this you know well-to-do guy who is apparently very wealthy he's got a lot of power he's very just on the surface very influential those who are, are desperate um that he he prays himself on they they think they've found this guy who can help them and because he looks so successful himself then it's very easy to be drawn into him um and and want to be like him 
So that's where Gareth Miles finds himself when um, the Tricker Jack sort of takes him under his wing. And to give him this sort of more human aspect, I had to give him a real name. I didn't want to just refer to him. I wanted the Tricker Jack to be like a moniker that is given to him by others that he knows he's got, but he didn't necessarily choose for himself. He would rather be known by his 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 real name, which is Ackerley Patterson Thorne. I was at work one day. Um, I, I had a great job at that time. It allowed me the chance to write on my lunch breaks away from the office. Um, but throughout the day, I also sort of, I did manage to drift off and just make notes as I was working um, on certain things. And one of those was trying to come up with a, a name to fit this guy, to fit his stature, to fit his, what I envisage his standing to be in society. Um, so I thought, had to have a double-barreled name because <laughs> it just makes him sound sort of all the more impressive, I, th- I guess. But it had to be something really individual. So I think I just Googled old sort of um, names from that era um, and Ackerley came up and I, I hadn't heard of it before. I thought it was more of a surname than a first name, but it worked really well. Um, and I knew I wanted a double-barreled name and, and at the time... I was working for a a vehicle rental company and um, we dealt with a lot of uh, BMW cars and the place they used to go back to once we once they'd reached their end of life with us on the rental side they went back to their main sort of compound their main supplier up in a place near Doncaster in the UK called Thorn so I kind of snatched that one out of the air and, and Patterson, I think I must have drifted back to my school days. We had a substitute teacher who was called Mr. Patterson. He was Scottish. We only had him a few times, but he was, as well as being a substitute teacher for our junior school, he was also an actor and he at one time was the understudy to Michael Crawford um, when he was the Phantom of the Opera in the West End which I at the time I didn't really I, I thought it was quite big at the time but looking back on it now I mean that's quite an impressive thing to to claim you know really so um, I think I must have just drifted back to him and just taken the Patterson part and just put them together played around with whatever order worked best and lo and behold Ackerley Patterson Thorne Something rapped against the concrete urgently and the voices fell silent within a moment a black cane came into view landing only inches from his face. Gareth could feel that the bodies around him, above him, were frozen. He could not even hear them breathing anymore. Do we have a problem here? A soft voice asked. It belonged to an Englishman, he could tell, an educated man. He spoke with authority, yet appeared not to need to strain himself to be heard. All activity around him, the purring and rushing of the traffic, beeping their horns, the patter of footsteps of busy locals and tourists, their joyful conversation and laughter had all ceased. One of the youths mumbled a reply, a slight tremble in his voice. Do you have any quarrel with this man? asked the voice again. Gareth knew that the man was referring to him, but his presence was also affecting himself. He could hardly move. Something kept him pressed to the ground. All he could see from his viewpoint was the nervous shuffling of the young lad's feet. Then I suggest you leave. The command was simple, calm but effective. 
Within a few seconds, the group had retreated. Gareth then felt a hand grip him under his arm and pull him to his feet. The man was a couple inches taller than himself, well-groomed, a mass of tight black curls protruding from underneath a smart top hat. The man's face was long, slim, and somehow beautiful. Its pallor was smooth and ghostly white, his eyes a warm dark brown, almost black. His nose was the only feature out of place on his unspoiled face, as it was long and hooked, almost resembling a beak. Gareth stood breathlessly, still trying to recover from the tumble. The man smiled a perfect row of white teeth as he spoke again. I believe I can be of assistance to you, my friend. What an odd remark. How could he possibly know that he could be of any help? That Gareth himself even needed help? Then he gazed down at himself. His clothes hung from him loosely. Some of his shirt buttons had been torn or had fallen off, and his new trousers now ripped and dust-covered at the knees. He also found that he could not muster a reply to this mysterious figure that had saved him from further ridicule. A drink, perhaps? He said as he signaled behind and above them with his cane to a table on the balcony of a fine wine bar. Gareth nodded, prompting another winning smile from his savior. Mr. Miles, I believe. His smile beamed even brighter as he observed the look of bewilderment on Gareth's face turn to that of terror. Gareth again could say nothing. Ackerly Patterson Thorne, at your service. And that's what I refer to him. I, I sort of chop and change between referring to him as Ackerley Patterson Thorne and the Tricker Jack. And I think it really depends what setting he's in. If I'm if I'm writing a scene where he's in sort of the world of the living and he's he's doing very normal things like you know having dinner or you know meeting someone in the street or whatever, I probably would refer to him by his real name. But when it got to the more the darker aspects. I would refer to him as the Tricker Jack because that really, to me, that was... It's like he's got a split personality. On the surface, he's got this facade of being this this really successful, powerful gentleman um, in the real world. Um, and then his other side, under his mask, I suppose, is when he's in the underworld, is the things that he's making people do to um, prove themselves worthy of having whatever it is that they're fighting for you know immortality or whatever basically he he's testing people he's 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 giving them tasks to really test their mortality you know how badly do they want these things are they worthy of having the power the abilities that he has the life he has um or are they really you know are they wanting to just give up and not fight strongly enough i think there's a good moral in there if you look deep enough you know past it being a, a horror story um it's it's really you know what hopefully makes you think what is most important you know is it material things how 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 hard are you willing to fight for the things that you believe you should have or the things you deserve or anything that you want is it a passing phase? Is it just the fact that you, you want to be rich so that you can have um, live this life of you know carefree? Um, or is it something a lot deeper? 
that you're that you're after and i think i like to think that the these people if, if ever they came across a trick jack and they're really after the material things that they would be the ones to fail because i've i think striving for money and success um objects you know big houses fast cars and that it's it's still quite shallow um i think when you really get to it and you're put in a situation a lot like Gareth Miles is. I mean, it's fairly extreme what he gets put through. He gets sent on the train. Um, once he once he agrees, once he he loses a bet basically to to the tricker jack. He loses a game of um, a, a blackjack, which is the tricker jack's game. I didn't know a lot about poker, so I I had to kind of I had to write in something that I did un- a card game that I did understand a little bit more about, which is is really where the the name Tricker Jack came from, because um, it linked into the blackjack part, the tricker part. Obviously, he is he tricks people, and I, uh, you know, I I knew of the um, the Fred like Cracker Jack, and and that's I kind of I suppose just wanted to spin on something like that, something snappy, something that draws people in. So, so the fact that he tricks people. Um, was part of that and and then I, I made his his calling card almost was the the jack of spades just something that i could always sort of put into so from this from this story on it didn't really have a hell of a lot of relevance in this one but as we went on and i wrote the other stories to um to build on the tricker jack story i i would put little references to um a jack of spades playing card being found and to those who followed the stories it was just a little nod so they would they could pick up on the fact that we know who's coming you know i really wanted that i imagined if it was on film it's one of those things that one of those little scenes that would happen that would or something you could use in a trailer even you know that people would recognize and they would know then that's all you need to know you don't need to see him you don't need to hear him if you saw that you knew what was coming so that was um yeah, that was that was a little little something that I like to sort of keep in there. So yeah, yeah, go back to so the, the kind of the kind of test that Gareth Miles is is put under to um to prove whether he's worthy of having this 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 life like Ackley Patterson Thorne has got. It's fairly extreme, you know. He he goes on the the Spanish train down to the underworld and he's got to um he's got to meet up with Caron the ferryman who then gives him his task and he's basically got to fight his way out of the the sea the the river um which I did more research on what the theories are that that you know, things that lived in the river in sticks or whatever there's there's a lot of different river names that was given to to the river that you go across in the underworld but um you know what lived in there what it was like what the makeup of it was and i i used some of that so how i describe the river when he's 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 um battling through this task towards the end is actually comes from the research that i did it's actually things that are referenced into you know uh, what it may have been like or what it may be like still you know if it does exist um but yeah um you know being put through something like that really would test your metal as to whether you were whether you you really wanted what it was that you were fighting for and unfortunately for gareth miles he was if he decided at that point he it wasn't worth it he couldn't really go back once the idea is once you start the game with the trigger jack you 
you've got to see it through to one of two inevitable ends either you win and you come back and you've got everything that you wanted or inevitably you lose and you remain down there and your soul belongs to the devil then so um what i loved about writing this story was it was it, it didn't just come from my head um with omidia it was something that was it was it was based on something that was in my mind you know there was a, a, a genuine sort of fear there from my childhood which fed into that um with this i did actually research stuff i mean it, it came from songs i could draw on the stories and the songs first just to to set the set the scene um and i i did you know a certain amount of research into theories of the underworld you know down to like i say the the makeup of the the actual feel and the look of the the river and you know what the the harbour and sort of area actually um looked like and you know who was down there and so it was it was a real amalgamation of my imagination my um my vision of the underworld uh my fascination with uh, folklore to you know to do with things like the underworld and biblical folklore and um you know my love for these these songs that were written and Krista Bird would come back into a few other things as I went along as well probably not as explicitly as in this one um, I even go as far as to get Tricker Jack to utter the opening lines of Spanish Train in, in one scene as well um, which, you know it was gratuitous maybe but I, I wanted I really wanted some sort of obvious nod to it but I I I am proud of the way that I was able to sort of bring those bring those together into this story and it stands today as one of two this and Numidia are the two that people do react most to I suppose um, any of the reviews or the comments that I have from A Necessary End or when it was House of Courtney they're the ones that I really do hold on to and, and I'm, I'm most proud of receiving because people did relate to them in some way and a couple of people in particular said they they loved the character of the tricker jack and i was gonna leave it at this one story um it didn't turn out like that i just I, something else happened the following year which i will come on to when i discuss some of the later stories that brought me back to the tricker jack and decided it, it he would have worked I feel as just a standalone story because it just tells this one instance this one example of what he did um the idea is, is that he's had hundreds and hundreds of people that he's that he's found that he's put to test um but i was only telling one of those this was just like a snapshot of who he was what he did um but he kind of grew i i knew that that um not only the notion of what he was doing had more life in it but also he must have had a story to tell of his own which is what i've 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 tried to to do when i then wrote about him in black gang again and and you know, what exists now is a necessary end um and i i still feel he's got he's probably still got a little more life left in him i've still got some some more ideas of, of things that i could places i could take him 
so you know stay tuned um but from a, a physical side sort of going back to his appearance um like i say part of it was the character that tom hiddleston had in crimson peak in terms of him being quite quite pale dark haired very striking very good looking not in a like you know like a stereotypical hollywood you know floppy blonde hair kind of leonardo dicaprio sort of way but this kind of dark mysterious kind of um appearance and i always think if you think of successful people it's just the image of your top hat and long coat you know that always kind of struck me anyway but part of his demeanor as well as the top hat and the cane um part of his appearance came from a, a character from a film which again hopefully when i say it you many of you will will recognize and and sort of understand where this came from but um one of my favorite depictions on screen of a character is gene wilder's version of willy wonka in the musical willy wonka and the chocolate factory from the 70s i think i absolutely loved how creepy he was um i mean here he is he's in the book willy wonka is i've only just read it recently to my kids in the book he's quite an odd character but he's more of a um uh he's a lot more sort of high energy it seems i mean there, there is a there is a, a sort of very dark side to him in things he says but you, you imagine this little guy who's sort of you know prancing around jumps around as he walks and things like that gene wilder he gave him a real sinister edge there is almost in a lot of scenes in that film that I remember there's there's nothing going on behind the eyes and he seems to be staring into nothing and he's muttering things that make no sense um, and there are a couple of lines that I fed into his dialogue into the Tricker Jacks dialogue in this story that come from that film in particular Gene Wilder's version of Willy Wonka again this whole story really is is a big homage to all these things that I loved. So the, the music of Christopher, the 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 characters um that Gene Wilder and Tom Hiddleston had that really inspired the physical um nature, the appearance of, of the Tricker Jack. You know, my um my understanding or my own perception of the underworld and hell and the afterlife and you know all kind of coming into one which to me probably makes it one of the most complete works that i've done because so much of me has gone into it without being obviously like and it's nothing biographical obviously by any stretch of the imagination but there's a lot of me you know inside you know my mind spirit whatever getting very sort of deep i know but a lot of what's inside me has gone into this book into this story um and yeah i i've just decided actually last night to start watching willy wonka and the chocolate factory again just because i knew that i was going to be talking about the trick of jack and i i really just wanted to go back and see those those bits again that i stuck with me since childhood you know that was one of my favorite films growing up and um and i think it's down to dialogue and mannerisms of Gene Wilder and that that made it such a great film for me he's dry he's sarcastic um, 
again it's very it's very sinister it's it's a it's a come from a kid's book which was a bit dark but a film aimed at kids as well and you've just got this guy i think he's he must be in there for the parents because i've really come to admire um that character more and and gene wilder as an actor i think more as i've grown up with that film so so yeah that's that's really it um hope i've not given too much away on the story um i really do want people to go out and read it this as well as this is out of i I really want people to read umidia like i said last um last week but i really if you're gonna read anything if you want a sample of of anything that i've done um not just because this podcast this series of the podcast is dedicated to it but but go and get a, a, a copy of a necessary end um, in particular, the thread of the Tricker Jack, you will, you will get a sense more of me as a writer and a person throughout all those stories because this is one character I feel connected with in some way. Um, I know I can't write about him forever. Um, I do have an endpoint in mind, and I think I'll be really sad um, whenever I do write the last, the last journey of the Tricker Jack. Um, because I, I, he, he gives, he gives me such pleasure to write about. I can do some great things with him. He's, he's a very sadistic, um, sinister guy. Whilst on the surface being the coolest dude that you could imagine in that kind of gentlemanly fashion. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really had a blast with this one. So it's, it's been great talking about him as well because there's a few people that I have sort of talked about the roots of the Tricker Jack where it came from um, but not very often so it's great for me to kind of do this with with all of my, my writing since I started doing this podcast but in particular this one because this is this is the very centre of my, my writing journey so far I think it's it's the one character it's the one storyline that I, I keep going back to and wanting to explore more so uh so yeah, so thank you for um, thank you for listening again. Um, I hope you're still enjoying it. Please do check out the book, A Necessary End. Um, check out the audiobook as well. Um, I am dropping, I am using these episodes to to put in snippets of the the audiobook where I can because I've got to give a shout out again to Dave Jackson. I probably will every week, but Dave Jackson who narrated the. Um, the audiobook of A Necessary End has done a fantastic job. So please do check out A Necessary End ebook, paperback, audiobook. It's all out there. Follow me on this journey as I go through this podcast, sort of giving you an insight into each of the stories into there. There's, there's quite a few stories for me to go through, so it will be a full season just talking about this book. But there's a lot to tell. As you can see, you know, one episode dedicated to one character really and this is just one story of that character there's more of the tricker jack to come um so yeah hope you look forward to that as much as i am but uh, thank you for joining me this week and i will speak to you again next week the head of the engine car came into sight as he stubbed out the cigar and he stood rubbing his sweaty hands as it drew past him and slowed to a halt Ackerley stood and stared at the carriage directly in front of him allowing it a few moments to cool. 
Trepidation caused his hands to shake as he reached for the door handle. Something was stopping him from entering, but he did not know why. Putting one foot on the step, he craned his neck to look inside the carriage around the door. All was still, so he proceeded on board. Ackerley walked cautiously to row D and found there, on seat three, the familiar leather pouch. He breathed a sigh of relief before the memory of the latest contestant flickered through his mind. A pang hit his heart and knotted his stomach. Guilt. It soon passed as it always did when he reached down and felt the weight of the purse. He tucked it into his inside pocket before a sound gripped him and froze him to the spot. It was a pained cry, unlike that of any man or beast that he had encountered. It sounded like a sob, then a strain, followed by anguish. Ackerley's eyes were rooted to the floor as the gory red mass appeared from under the first row of seats and the front of the carriage. He watched as it struggled, pulling itself with great effort across the floor. He had never seen an apparition like it, and it was only when the head peered up and stared at him with lidless eyes and a lipless mouth that he recognized anything that had once resembled a human. The sound samples used in this episode are from the audiobook version of A Necessary End, narrated by Dave Jackson, and is available for download on Audible and Amazon. If you like what you hear, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please do check out the audiobook, as well as the ebook and paperback copies of A Necessary End, also available through Amazon and all good bookstores online. Mm-hmm.